0: A transporter accident. The beam was redirected through time, not space.
1: Redirected where?
0: Not where. When? Sends the crew three centuries back in time. This is not the Earth we're used to, Doctor. Into the heart of a full-scale revolution. This place is about to explode. But getting home may mean rewriting
2: history. That's enough! On the next Star Trek Deep Space
0: Nine. Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Karnik, and slowly, groggily waking up in the far future of 2021 are Adam
1: Bowen and Emily Bowen Marler. This is Strange New Takes. I forgot what we were doing for a moment because I just woke up um, in a time different from my own, Um, but we're a Star Trek themed pod. Because we do time travel, and um, we were originally just going to start with Strange New Worlds, but who wants to wait? We've got lots of Star Trek to discuss, and I just found out we're, we may have, like, four new series episode things showing up in 2021, so Star Trek is just going to be on Insane. fire. We're gonna have. We're going to have tons of stuff to talk about, So, but for now, while we're waiting for that new Trek to arrive, we are tackling moral dilemmas that have taken place across all Star Trek series, and today we're focusing on the Deep Space Nine two-parter, Past Tense.
2: And hopefully uh, you all have your ID cards with you so that you can log on to your integration terminals and follow us on social media at Strange New Takes on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Tell all your human friends in real life also about this podcast. And uh, additionally, uh, just spend even more time on on your devices and uh, write us a five star rating on iTunes. Uh, That's the kind of thing that just makes us show up more and it would be great and we'd love you.
0: Yeah, no It'll ratings yet anyway. to read, but uh, if you give us a five-star rating, I will read it on uh, on the episode. But hey, I'm also here to warn you that if you have time-traveled to the future from the year 1995 and you do not want to get spoiled on an episode that... We in this timeline watched uh, 26 years ago. Uh, stop listening to this podcast right now and go back to your own time. Watch the episode, then come back forward and listen to this podcast because that's the right thing to do. Also, just we, also, we do it. How did up... you find a podcast? Right, like, exactly. Uh, I'm impressed. You don't even have Diamond Rios back in your timeline. But hey, fun also... fact
1: I just gradu- I graduated from high school in 1995. I just. That. And like now, my mind is blown. Anyway, go ahead. There you go. So <laughs> uh,
0: uh, we also end up spoiling a bunch of other just general Trek and things. I'll try to. We try to warn you before that happens. But just know that that could happen in our show. Anyway, the other thing is next week we are going to be covering the TNG classic Measure of a Man, an episode that where I wish everybody was wearing the newer TNG uniforms, but they're still stuck in those weird diamond, you know, no Nehru collar like weird early TNG uniforms, and it's just like. Yeah. An episode this good should have the better uniforms. You know, they should reshoot it. Just Picard season two, episode one, just measure of a man, redux. You know, like, we need to do it West Wing
2: style.
1: Yeah, but like just the remasters
2: point. should have just replaced the, the things and that exactly. should have been what
0: they did. Yeah, everybody's wearing scants. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh so yeah, watch Measure of a Man next before next episode, uh, because we'll be discussing that and whether Data is a sentient being or not. Uh but for now we are discussing part past tense, part one and part two. They are the Eleventh and twelfth episode of the third season of Deep Space Nine. They aired on eighth January and fifteenth January, nineteen ninety-five, the year Emily graduated high school, and uh, they were the teleplays were written by Robert Hewitt, Robert Hewitt Wolf, Iris Stephen Bear, and Renee Echevarria, or Echevarria. uh, and the stories were by Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf. It's a great name, Robert Hewitt Wolf. And then they were directed, the first one by Reza badiyi and the second one by Jonathan Frakes. This was the third time. Somewhere. Right? <laughs> was Sounds his familiar. Th- his <laughs> third time directing an episode. So Emily, can you tell us what happens in these two episodes?
1: So Cisco, Bashir, and Dax are accidentally sent to San Francisco in the 21st century due to you guessed it, a transporter malfunction, and they must figure out how to return without changing the timeline. Cisco is then forced to take place, take the place of a key historical figure on Earth in 2024 in order to preserve the timeline.
0: All right. Well, and there's a lot of great moral dilemma and social questions asked in this episode. But before we get to the discussion of those, your strange new takes... Please And again, I see that someone's put my name first on the list, so I will go. That's fine. (laughs) It's okay. I don't have a problem with that. Decorative bookshelves is my question, which is that bookshelves traditionally, as the name suggests, hold books. But I've seen a lot of people put like decorative objects on their bookshelves. And, uh, you know, there's these famous modular bookshelves that you can make where, you know, there's like people who put like really tall ships and stuff And I'm saying, I wonder why people do that. You're just increasing pressure on me. All I have is books on my shelf and some, like, antacids. I mean, making me feel bad for that. Like, stop doing this cool stuff with your bookshelves. Just make them normal. Put books. They're called bookshelves, not, like, stuff shelves, okay? If you wanted stuff on them, that's what we'd call it. Anyway, um, with this episode, I got to say, this is one of those, like preachy star trek episodes that has a clear message that escapes the preachiness really well it's like a straightforward well-told social narrative and they literally at the end the character like looks at the camera and like does it but it seems so natural still so credit to the directors for making it uh work in that way where it's not like some sort of like just saying it, it's not aged like a just saying to drugs episode from like the 80s which several shows also have
1: star trek has one of those too
0: uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay so
2: for my strange new take uh i've so uh, we we have there's an opportunity coming up where uh there there's a, a new batch of ladies that we might be able to adopt i think that we're not quite ready for that yet because i i, it's a, I need to expand you're talking chicken about run. chickens. But I'm talking about chickens.
0: You said uh, ladies. We need to be clear here. This is not some okay, Jeffrey sure no. crap. <laughs> okay. okay, so
2: the, these are uh, chicken ladies. Uh, so essentially, uh, there, there's a new batch that we might be able to adopt. I think we're not quite ready yet. The, the chicken run needs to be... Uh, I need to just build a new one that's bigger uh, and also need to get a, b- a bigger coop. So I think I'm going to start thinking about uh doing some expansion plans this year. So 2021, the year that I build a chicken run, maybe. Um and for the uh the episode itself, um I think kind of touching along what, what Notch is talking about, like the this episode, uh of all the sort of like near future things that Star Trek has done, like sort of watching this one today, there are several points where like I mean, I hope that we don't wear our ties like that, but a lot of hair like that. Yeah. But a a lot of the episode felt kind of like, oh, I that's I don't I don't feel like we're that far off. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that's my strange new take. A little too real.
1: Yeah. So my strange new take. Wow, I'm actually not prepared for my real-life one because I've just been so thinking about my Star Trek Strange New Take. So my real-life Strange New Take is going to be... I have no idea. I'm just going to go to Star Trek. This is, I'm not there relatable today. My relatable Strange New Take is, wow, this show aired in 1995 when I graduated from high school. So I feel a little old because we talked about how old these episodes are. <laughs> and that would be... <laughs> I would be older than that. So, um... But my strange new take for the episode, uh, I've seen Past Tense several times. And it's more uncomfortable every single time I see it. Um, I usually have a few years that happens in between viewings of Deep Space Nine. And um, it's just, it is uncomfortably close to um, reality in our country. Um, We may not have... Sanctuary cities, but let's see here in Springfield, Missouri, um, we want to make Springfield as inhospitable to the unsheltered as possible. And I don't know if the goal is that they just all die or that they leave. Um, either of those is terrible. That's not how you address homelessness. Um, but you know, Springfield likes to go through and clear out all the trees in areas where there are known to be uh, campsites set up for people who are unsheltered. Um, Anyway, it's just pretty terrible. And I watched this episode on the heels of um, really our city experiencing a humanitarian crisis when our temperatures dropped to Mm -hmm. sub-zero temperatures. And we had hundreds of people who did not have shelter, who we were desperately trying to find shelter for. We had several... Well, no, I'm not going to say several. We had a few churches that opened their doors to um, house unsheltered folks um, when we have plenty of churches in this city to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And we had another church that is like, I've never known a church more doing the work of Jesus, at least in Springfield, than this church. They were able to raise like 15 no $50,000 they raised $50,000 to be to be able to put people in hotels for that week while the temperatures were so bad so you know there were people came together to do it but but it wasn't um it wasn't the the city officials in the way you know there were a few city officials that were part of like volunteering with some of these efforts Mm -hmm. but as far as like the city doing something anyway it was a discouraging few weeks and then watching this episode was just like Whew. Yeah.
0: And just just for our listeners benefit, you're the pastor of a church, and you work very closely in this issue. So yeah, it's something where which is we're very close to your work, very close to your heart, yeah, uh, your yeah. values. Um, for the folks, we have some listeners from around the world and terms are a little bit different, uh, depending on where you are. So for example, Uh, The folks we're talking about in the UK might be called rough sleepers, for example. Um, Traditionally, the word homeless has been used, but that's falling out of favor with some Mm -hmm. um, folks working in the field, unhoused, Mm -hmm. unsheltered. Are there? I have seen some folks get very um, passionate about which terms are used. Yeah. So just understand that we're still in the moment of uh, transition between figuring out the language specifically. So just um, just, just a thing to, to be aware of what the language around this issue is in mm-hmm. your area. Just take a look, see what your government or the folks working in this area are using because uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's basically the most appropriate way to address the issue. Also, you might be listening to this years from now where things have changed a little <laughs> bit. So just be aware that Hopefully at this moment... Moment, for I, the better right you're listening in 2024 from a sanctuary city being like damn it <laughs> um we fell into the trap okay world war three let's go is that from cochran where are you um anyway just just a note that this issue will evolve over time and so at this point in time when we're talking this is the context that we're speaking in so i think uh, we did we talked about this before we started recording what is the moral dilemma in so far as this episode in previous episodes we've discussed uh that you know the moral dilemma is what does cisco do what does Picard do what does Bashir do or whatever you know we've we've talked about the moral dilemmas in that lens but you all wanted to this week talk a little bit about the issue of what's happening in this episode environmentally there is a question about time travel and we can talk about that maybe towards the end of the first part but really the big question here is what's happening in star trek's 2024 san francisco how do we feel about that how does that reflect the time that we're living in is that is that accurate encapsulation emily you sponsored this episode is that accurate encapsulation of what you were going to ask us
1: yeah i i just i think um This episode actually now granted, none of us are going to time travel and find ourselves in a position where we might have to step into the shoes of a famous person to carry Mm -hmm. out the famous thing that they did. Right. So in that sense, that's not our dilemma. Um, But I feel that this episode, more than any of the others has a dilemma that just directly is it's the dilemma is for the audience. It's like, mm-hmm. what are you going to do now that you've, you know, like after dear mm-hmm. doctor, I'm not really going to walk out and go, so if I ever come to a place where I'm going to be able to save an entire species of people, because I found the <laughs> cure for this disease, it's ravaging, you know, like that, that's, I'm not going to yeah. ever encounter that. But you know what? I'm absolutely going to encounter someone who doesn't have a place to live and is, and mm-hmm. is sleeping on the street or sleeping in a doorway somewhere. I'm absolutely going to encounter that. Um mm-hmm and there are there were just so many lines in this episode that I have heard come out of politicians mouths i 've mm-hmm. heard come out of just random person 's mouth who you know thinks they can 't do anything one of the um there was one line especially that was said by Lee in the episode. She was the woman that was process- she kind of was doing the processing of Bashir and Cisco oh, when they yeah. first came in. Um, and she, she's one of the characters that is in both features pretty heavily in both episodes, but, mm-hmm. um, but she said, uh, I'm trying to think she talks about, um, she was telling a story about when she first started working there. She says, uh, when I first started working here, I processed a woman who had a warrant out on her for abandoning her kid. She couldn't take care of him. So she left him with the family that she worked for over in the Marina. I felt sorry for her. I didn't log her in. I just let her disappear into the sanctuary. Um, almost got me fired when my supervisor found out. And then she said, she doesn't know what happened to the woman, but she thinks about her all the time. Ever since then, I've just done my job, you know, Tried not to let it get the best of me. And then I think it's Bashir who says to her, it's not your fault that things are the way they are. And Lee says, everybody tells themselves that and nothing ever changes. And it was like a gut punch. And that to me is the moral dilemma of this episode. Um, so we have talked ourselves into a sense of powerlessness, that we can't change the way things are, when absolutely we have the power to change the way things are. I mean, it takes some yeah. imagination. It takes it takes looking at these issues differently. You know, there's another quote that I included in the notes where when, uh, uh, it's the moment when Jedzia starts to realize perhaps where Bashir and Cisco might be. Um, someone's talking about, Oh, you're lucky you weren't found without an ID on the street because they would have thrown you in a sanctuary district. And one of the other companions there says, Oh, I thought they stopped doing that. And the person's response is why would they, it's the only way to keep these people off the streets. Yeah. Yeah. That's not the only way to keep a person off the streets. Like, that's like Springfield. Well, the only way to get rid of homelessness is to go through and cut down all the trees so they can't set up a camp, you know, set up a tent in the shade of a tree. Yeah. Like like such a lack yeah. of imagination.
0: So some of this, um, we, just, just to trace the issue back a couple hundred years, um, a lot of, at least in the Western hemisphere, our approach to um, folks who are either unemployed in, in the face of industri- when industrialization came about, the The attitude towards folks who were who found themselves without a place to live, who were unemployed, was through the lens of the poor laws in England. And the I'm going to do a lot of simplification. There's a lot of like, if you if you do study social work, for example, uh, you will learn you will do a course on the poor laws and and read about them. But essentially, one of the theories that was in Victorian England was if you give people something for free. They're going to get used to that handout. And then there's going to be, they're not going to have incentive to work. So basically, you got to make the person feel bad for mm-hmm. their status in life. You got to wear, make them wear a uniform in the poorhouse. You got to make them do work every day. Uh, and in this country, for example, one of the legacies of that is that your unemployment benefits run out after a while, they're not unlimited. And it's the sense of like, that that your dignity has to be earned which is kind of, I, I will just personally for myself say i don't believe in that i think most that that you, you've most people won't choose that state there are um i think i think that there's this kind of high class derision of like people who find themselves in tough times that is inherent to those poor laws and mm-hmm. there's been backwards and forwards movement. I mean you have different states in this country that have different rules around it, but th- but that's basically one of the places that this attitude comes from is this sense of from Victorian England, which then had its tentacles go all across the world um, in in including my my place I grew up in India uh, mm. of, of attitudes to the poor and and to folks who find themselves without a home or without work.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well, we can start talking a little bit more about this, uh, just in terms of this episode, which is that I, I appreciated that the the, the the stress that the folks in these sanctuary cities were folks who wanted to find work, because I think you talk to folks who are facing tough times, that's what they tell you as well, mm-hmm. right, Emily?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh well, and I thought I found it really interesting. They had the the three different categories they had for people in this episode. They have the mm-hmm. dims that so, so these were uh, slang terms that were used in the twenty first century. Will be Star Trek. Will be Star- Yeah, they will be. Yeah. Used. So you have the dims, which are people who pro- I would imagine either are intellectually uh, delayed or or you know maybe have some serious mental illness. And I mean, there. So that's that's kind of the the yeah the, like label they, they mentioned they place a few on,
2: specific uh right, conditions that people have right in the you know episode, like they talked like about someone having schizophrenia
1: yeah mm-hmm. um uh, or the the guy that takes dax's uh combat uh, you know like badge, so they have a couple yeah. so they those people are considered dims then you have the people who are gimmies which are just the people who want they want a job um but they can't get a job and so but they call them gimmies because they you know they want food and And, you know, a way to make, to be able to put a house over their head. So, you know, and then you have the ghosts who are just the people that are gonna, those maybe are the more criminal element in the, in the Mm -hmm. sanctuary cities. But, um, but there's so, um, all of those, I could, so often we see people in all of those categories in, in our own time, um. Where the blame is placed upon themselves, even though very often it's circumstances that are beyond their control, you know mm-hmm. when you talk about yeah. people who are uh suffering with mental illness or people who are suffering with addiction or people who are yeah. are just you who get laid off and aren't able to get another job, or you know i mean, but all of this blame, yeah. which totally ties back to what you were talking about notch with um mm-hmm. with the was it the poor laws the poor, yeah, yeah the, the yeah. English um, poor laws, um, mhm. But well,
2: and it's, it's, it's interesting, because it's, um, so we have a lot of sort of the cultural connection to that. But we, uh, in some ways, I, I feel like we use different things to justify what uh, sort of a cultural belief that cut co- probably comes from that. But we'll, we won't talk about it in exactly the same way. But it's, it, it feels like it comes from that sort of root idea of uh, now, I feel like much more, we're, we're sort of like, oh, well, we, we couldn't possibly afford to to be able to do those things. Uh, maybe if you dig people into it a a bit, they start talking about whether people deserve uh, uh, sort of the support and, and whatnot, but um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just interesting how we, maybe we've inherited some of this culture um, from that particular time period, but uh, we, we use all sorts of reasons to justify it now. And um, it's just, uh, it's, it's interesting also the, the, sort of the the different responses that that certain places have taken where they've done things like discover like oh actually if you provide people free housing uh as sort of like a baseline and then like work like have social programs to he- to help them out like there are like they have better outcomes in general uh and it can be cheaper for uh, if we do all of those things and so, so it's sort of like a we we get ourselves stuck into these sort of resource allocation discussions without realizing the huge costs that we're incurring on our, on our society by like purposely forgetting people.
1: Right. Healthcare is a, is a huge example. So if everyone has access to healthcare and has access, affordable healthcare, I suppose I should Mm. say, if everyone has access to affordable healthcare and they're able to get, um, you know when when they're sick they're able to go to a doctor and get medicine if they are struggling with some sort of mental illness they're able to seek a counselor or they're able to get medication i mean cuz sometimes you need to have medication that helps right. in instances like that if you if you are able to actually give people that as a baseline so that you are seeking to give some sort of health as a baseline for people that also in the long run costs far less money then what was it? We have a sick care system, not a health care system. Right. And I wanted nation.
0: to address that for just a second, which is, as you mentioned, you know, getting access to doctors, even just information about when to go to a doctor, because you can incur some pretty useless costs in the health care system by going mm-hmm. to doctors when it's not necessary. Right. I mean, think mm-hmm. about maybe when you were little and you had a cold or something and maybe your folks were like, don't worry, you'll be fine. And you really wanted to go to the doctor and fix it. That's what I mean. You don't you you don't know you don't have that insight and unless you know you, your folks maybe either learned it through their own experience or maybe they were given the advice. Um, a lot of folks don't ha- don't know what to do with certain situations. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of things I think we should also take into account here. So I've I've been looking at a bit of data around homelessness and um, folks who are sleeping unsheltered, uh, and there's there's a lot of different data sets, and it's you can you can do a lot of like deep dives most of the ones i'm seeing go only as far back as 2007 2008 um so they're Mm. not quite i can't tell you like what's happened in this issue like over 100 years um but what i'm seeing is that the number of folks in most places who are considered quote-unquote homeless is down but the number of folks within that group who are unsheltered the proportion of those is up so essentially what we're finding is that folks who might be finding themselves and this is pre pandemic right when when you mm-hmm. know the economy was quote unquote recovering a bit um and and maybe maybe and we we're looking at two thousand seven and eight when things were going bad uh for but, sure but we're finding that there's less spaces for folks who need the help to find mm-hmm. that help and you know you can think about the attitudes mm-hmm. towards uh welfare towards uh housing folks uh within the last 10 or 12 years and there has been a movement towards kind of you know and I would say this goes right back to the 20s, uh not twenties, the nineties with Bill Clinton's welfare reforms. You know, where the word welfare queen, which is absolute I mean it's a it's a racist term. If you if yes. you look at it, mm-hmm. it was first used for an African American woman mm-hmm. uh and 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 her story was kind of highlighted as the welfare queen and and so that's how it came into the the lingo. And it was used to stigmatize people who need the help. Um, and it's been used since then over 25 years. And, th- and this episode was made during that time, by the way, during those welfare mm-hmm. discussions. Um, it's been used to cut down the amount of resources and help that people have available. Um, I can tell you just a little bit of a story about how this has worked in the Twin Cities If over the last few months, if that would be good right now.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: yeah. we have seen during the pandemic just a huge increase in what we would call tent cities. So I have a park down the street from me. Um there were a group of tents over there. And I I've lived in this neighborhood now for four years. I'd not seen that before. And just across town you would see these tents pop up. And it was kind of, I, I remember driving around being like, I wonder why this has not happened before. Like what's happening now? And I, I don't know the answer to that question. I've read it. I can't remember now. Uh, there are a couple of great articles in the Twin Cities Pioneer Press, the Star Tribune, and MSP Magazine, um, which address specifically in my city, Minneapolis and St. Paul, uh, the 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 issue of 10 cities. But what I will say is that it's been a challenge for the local governments on how, what they should do with it. We don't have jurisdictions that... To, at least generally speaking our jurisdictions haven't been the type that have placed like spikes in places people sleep or removed trees as you were talking about but there has been a movement towards um removing the tent cities at the start of the winter because over here at least you're going to freeze to death if you're outside and the other thing that was happening was that there were some fire related incidents that were occurring mm-hmm. because of propane heaters mm-hmm. people had um and there has been some discussions between activists who feel this is oppressive to take these people the only place that they know as home and like uproot them from it and like take them somewhere else to the government officials were saying well it's not safe and there's there's stuff that's happening what i will say has happened which is good is that there's been a massive increase in spaces available there's they've commandeered an old hospital and turned it into a a shelter. There has been an increase in yeah. the number of spaces. That's so at good. least here, we've there has been that discussion. Okay, you're getting rid of the like dance now. What are you gonna do with the people? But I do feel like a lot of times these discussions it just stops at the let's get rid of the folks, right? Like I, I saw yeah. in England, the I forget it was the mayor, somebody started like putting in all these spikes everywhere, and there was no discussion. Okay, now there's the people can't sleep where you're putting the spikes. Where are they gonna go? Like, are you doing anything on after that spike point? And so um, that's the critical question. If you're not addressing that, just moving people along from one place to the next doesn't do anything for them. It doesn't make their lives better. It doesn't address the core problem. You're just making, you're just punting on the issue and making people's lives worse.
1: I'm so angry right right now that people put spikes. Sorry, you just said that the spikes. I'm so angry. I'm so angry that people do that. Like that I didn't know that I was angry enough when I saw those on the top of signs to keep birds away from oh, signs, yeah. so we're doing that to human beings now well there's okay, this is a yeah. whole category
0: of urban architecture actually you know you have you seen um yeah uh, like r-
2: ridges in between uh uh on um like benches and stuff like that where right. they make it so that you can't you or, can't or lay little down
0: sl- slanting um mm-hmm. and the ones the benches that have like the you know if you go to a train station you have those benches that are they have flat boards but they have little like railings that go over the bench at right you know about 15 percent from each end uh, of the bench those are to prevent people from sleeping on them comfortably so uh that God, and, i and hate if, humanity if you go to the bus stop <laughs>
1: Um this yeah.
0: That's why I need Star Trek. Okay, maybe maybe, maybe <laughs> let let me okay. How how about um
1: No, no it's good. It's good. Let's go. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. And this is this is something that has come about um in the mm-hmm. last I would say like I don't I'm I'm just I I know very little about this issue, but it's it's been a recent movement in architecture that this has been something that's been created uh as a as, and it's and it is Across, I would say, at least the Western world, this has popped up in a lot of different places. Um, This is
1: playing out in, I mean, so the the way it's playing out in Springfield in the midst of the pandemic is so this, we started having this crisis when all of the businesses shut down last spring, you know, so we went into lockdown and a lot of businesses were closed, no dining rooms were open anymore. So all of a sudden, people who were unsheltered found that the places they used to be able to just sit for a couple of hours all of a sudden weren't available anymore. They couldn't be Mm -hmm. inside. They couldn't do any of those things. So we have people who don't have a home and don't have a place where they, you know, have can safely sleep out of the elements are also now having to walk all day long because they can't sit anywhere. They can't do. I mean, it's just, it's so inhumane anyway. And I jumped all over something Adam was going to try to say earlier, but
2: oh, (laughs) I, I mean, it's, it, it's sort of more of the same. So, like in St. Louis, the the I'm not super into this particular area of like the um, sort of like local issues, but the the thing that I I do know has been happening for quite a while is that a lot of the focus in St. Louis is is on uh, there's someone who runs a, a shelter for for people that the city has been trying to get shut down, and the usual the 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 reason that they give for wanting to shut it down is that it's overcrowded. There's too many people. Uh, sort of in this place so maybe it's it's inhumane to have them there but the response isn't we need to shut this place down and we have bought this building which by the way uh, St. Louis has an enormous amount of vacant buildings in it but it so like it, theoretically like we have lots of schools that we, we end up uh, we shut down because there aren't enough kids in the area and then we do literally nothing with them uh, and the so like we 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 respond to these things with sort of the like, whoa, it's inhumane. We can't possibly let people do these things. So I'm going to focus all of my like political efforts mm-hmm. on shutting that thing down, so that what happens
1: well then and, you know what's going to yeah. happen we're going to build up some walls around those empty buildings and turn them into a sanctuary district and people yeah, who we live in the sanctuary safe, district can you know? just have free reign they can live yeah. wherever they want to within those empty buildings and you know we'll make yeah. sure they have food and and we'll make sure that you know they they at least have a they can have a roof over their head in those empty buildings and yeah see the Which, stage is being set
0: this is this is the next thing i wanted to like just bring up as well though because one of the things that is I, I studied public policy and you realize very quickly with any sort of public policy issue, but ones that are focused on people in particular, that at every inflection point, you need a great deal of care and nuance and support. You cannot like just stop at any certain point until the outcome that you want. Otherwise, you're going to find that there are unintended consequences. So a good example of this was in the twin cities where a hotel went out of business and they create the, early in the pandemic some activists uh convinced the hotel owner to have a bunch of folks who didn't have other places to live to take over the hotel and that was a great idea like don't get me wrong that was that was a good use of resources the problem is that that place then went unsupervised And there was no support Mm -hmm. given to the people living there to create a productive community just in terms of either, you know, getting what they need or uh, in terms of like, okay, what's next? You're here now. Like, where do we go from here? How do we get you the education, the resources, the funding, you know, whatever? How do we do that? And there was less of that. And so the community itself just devolved because they didn't they weren't being supported. And and by the end, what happened was all of the worst kind of stereotypes of the folks who were owned the place came true because you know a group of unsupported people had to fend for themselves um Mm -hmm. and then that led that person to be like "Ah, everybody out and you know it just became a worse situation for everybody involved i won't say that it was like at least they got a few months of shelter out of it don't get me wrong like it's not like a bad thing that this happened but you can't just stop you can't just say okay now you have a you have a place to live i'm gonna wipe my hands of the situation goodbye Good luck. Yeah. The state will take care of you now. Ask anybody who works in social services, and I will ask you this, Emily, which is that you need folks to have constant support, right? Like, this is this is an ongoing thing. It's not just a one and done. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and so many people don't realize the way, the many ways, those of us who are more privileged don't realize the many ways we are supported at every step along the way. And so, it's so, you know, I, I look at people who are standing, um, you know, at an intersection with a sign, you know, you know, any money, you know, would be helpful Mm. or, you know, so people who are trying to get resources that way. Um, and, and I think what what are the circumstances of their life that led them to this point? And is that a point I could ever get to, you know, like, I, Mm -hmm. like I just start wondering, like, and I I think, you know, I am so fortunate because I, I, I think the answer to that question is probably no, that, that will not happen to me. Um, but I am very, very fortunate because I have parents who could take us in in in-laws who could take us in, a brother who would probably be willing to take me in, um, you know, you're supposed to say, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah. would take me in. I, I was, you I know, was but, shaking my head yes, yeah, but, uh, no, that's not, but that's not, you the, know, the, like, the podcast
2: thought like, heard a, just a conspicuous yeah.
1: silence. <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> yeah, I would take you in. But, you know, I have, I have a whole network of support. That's around me. That that is a safety net for me. There are so many people in this world that do not have that, or their network of support doesn't have the resources to be able to take them in. Like like their their parent is living in a one bedroom apartment. Right, right, exactly. And so so it's just it's it's this utter like I've said this before. It's it's an utter lack of imagination and inability of us to put ourselves in the shoes of another. And I think we need to we need to do a better job at that, which is One of the things to actually talk back about the episode, um, the one of the things that I thought this was this episode was a good example. They were really highlighting the power of organizing, Um, you know, so they towards the end Mm -hmm. of the first episode, I think it was the end of the first episode or it was the beginning of the second episode. I can't remember. But they start talking about, you know, there's going to be a group of us. We're going to have a um, like a, a rally. Um, down it's end of the first episode because the yeah. entire second
2: episode is the, um, is the yeah
1: okay so we're going to go have a rally but p- make sure that you tell all the people who have families who have kids yeah. have them come we want them to be there be ready to tell their stories they need to see that these are real people with children with mm-hmm, with families mm-hmm. that people that they can relate to and so I was like this you know there was some good organizing happening this is exactly the kind of stuff that we're always talking about in the number I've been a part of a number of different organizing campaigns um you know we're all trying to to highlight how this affects families how this affects children how the you know that you find the the um the points where people can find some sort of uh of connectivity or a, a point where they can care about that you know so i mean you know what got people caring here in springfield dogs our church opened up our basement or our fellowship hall as a shelter for couples and those with dogs and you know how many resources hmm. we had pouring in because people wanted to. They felt so bad for the dogs who were living on the street and who were freezing. Yeah. Now I'm not saying they didn't care about the people, but it was like the dogs were a good entry point for some people. And then yeah, all the, of a sudden, mean, the, the
2: dogs are a, are a huge huge driver. Like there's a, um, a an event called uh, I think it's like Give STL Day. I think uh, it that happens in in May uh in in st louis and it's like consistently some of the top places that that do a huge amount of fundraising then and get like get high on the charts are like animal focused agencies so yeah. it's there. there's definitely lots of like strange feelings where it, it's yes. sort of like there's we have problems other than dogs but yeah, yeah. but yeah it's
1: but you can you can yeah, use there's that. a way to
2: to tie it in
1: yes to to get if you can get that's that can be an entry point for someone mm-hmm, that's the mm-hmm. what i was looking for that can be an entry point and then you can start sharing stories beyond that well like let's take a look at the yeah. person who 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 is this dog's person why are they in the situation that they are in you know what are what are the hardships mm-hmm. that they've experienced what are the ways that their safety net has failed them you know anyway
0: yeah, I um I also want to highlight another piece of this episode, which I think today would not be included. And I think that would be a great tragedy is the is the, the change of heart of the guy Vin. Which yeah, this all show, thing also shows that like, if you communicate, like, you can reach people. Mm -hmm. You know, we we think of people who don't hold the same views as us as a monolith. And I'm not saying you need to go hug a Nazi right now. Like That is not what I'm suggesting, because there's also some of that talk. And I don't agree with that either. Mm -hmm. But I think that there are people out there who either through just, you know, you were talking about the support, Emily, but it can also go the other way, which is that if you're insulated and too much of the views that you've been told by the people, you know, raising you, it can lead you or uh, people around you can lead you to a certain view. And that if you are able to show them what is going on, like the the human element or Mm -hmm. other parts of the story, they can change their minds. And and it can lead to something else, which is what happens with the Bell Riots, right, in in Star Trek, is that the the sacrifice of Gabriel Bell and the the broadcast shows the people what's going to happen. And that spurs change. Um, what we're seeing today unfortunately is that there's a lot of kind of reinforcement of what you believe available so if you are somebody Mm -hmm. who's finding things that are inconvenient to your worldview you can go to the corner of the internet that agrees with you get that reinforcement and um leave without having challenged anything about what you believe and so it is but, but that doesn't again that doesn't mean it's not possible to change people's minds and we should really try to do that um it's not hopeless is what i'm saying uh because at this point, I'll also give my little message of optimism. Because I've been thinking about this quite a bit uh, over the last few months, which is that we have, especially over the last four years, been thinking about a lot about how things are getting worse. And yes, over the last four years, things have got worse. Um, there are social issues, things that we need to address. But when we look at the last two hundred years, especially look at like um, when I when I look at how where I grew up and the things occurring in india but even in the united states even across the world the human condition has improved we have um we have made strides that allow for example just take one issue infant mortality millions more kids grow up mm. than used to 200 years ago and this is true across education folks living under democracies. a lot of different things have changed and so this is just to say that it might seem hopeless right now just seeing the slide that we, we in in the short time that we are in but it's not. We can change things. We can work together, like you were saying, organize, Emily, change minds, and make the, continue the trend of making lives better. This is the best time to be a human, and we can make it even better. It's not to say it's it's the best time for everybody compared to everybody else right now, mm-hmm. but we can continue to improve. So uh, we've been talking about some difficult stuff, and I just wanted to make sure to kind <laughs> of bring this in and to say, like, things aren't hopeless. There is There's been improvement in the past, and we can continue to have it. Um, so, so yeah, we should keep our eye on that too.
2: Yeah, that's actually, that, that reminds me of a similar thought that I had, uh, a a while back where I just thinking about like the past hundred years, uh, I, so like, yes, this, this has been a horrific year. A lot of people have died. A lot of people have, uh, just become sick for, uh, not just like the, the, the normal amount of sick that, that people, like, I know people that have had it for months where they're, they're going through symptoms of the coronavirus, Mm -hmm. but like. I don't know if the last year the last year certainly does not make it into the top 5 of worst years in the past century. I it it might not make it into the the top 10. Like we we had a we had a world war where we were where we killed millions of people uh and it it's it, like there are uh it's 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 so strange to kind of live in this this moment where we're we're thinking about how how bad things are. And and how how things are sort of like on a downward spiral and whatnot, while sort of holding into this this context of like that it is still better to live now than it is a, a 200 years ago. Uh, and it's I, I I think that that's an interesting thing to sort of remind our, our, ourselves every once in a while, because it, the, the other thing is also that um, we are able to talk about a lot of these issues in a way that that we couldn't in a a few decades ago, because it, it's like, it it seems like we might be at a place where we can actually try to do something about some of them. Like it's becoming a a broader thing that we talk about more often because there's a serious possibility that this could happen. And that's why we're getting some pushback uh, from people that are uh, trying to sort of like hold us to where we've been going rather than where we could be
1: going. You know the other thing I think that is important for us to remember. What, you know, when we're talking about how bad um, you know this moment in time may feel, I mm-hmm. we know about everything that's happening in the world all the time at every moment of the day, and that's too much for right. our. That's too much for us to hold. You know, and so that's partly why it feels like this. We're living in such a terrible time, and we're living. It's people who were living 200 years ago, they didn't know it was happening in all parts of the world. And you know, all of the devastation that was happening all yeah. at once, they, they didn't know. Um, and we're just not equipped. Like, I don't think our human brains and hearts can yeah. handle it. Like it's just too much. Um, and so that's, that's another thing, like sometimes, I mean, that's why it's important for us to be able to take a step back sometimes and to, you know, yeah. look for the bright side or, you know, I mean, I, I don't just preach doom and gloom, you know,
2: oh, yeah. <laughs> sure.
1: no. I just, I'm just feeling that way right now, as we talk about past tense and it's oh, feeling sure. way too close to home. Right. You yeah. know, but it's, um, but it's also that, I mean, that's why it's important for us to find ways to be able to take a step back from it and take a look at the ways in which, um, you know, we are living in a time that feels pretty awful and scary, but we're also living in a time where we have the capacity to make some incredible changes. I mean, I just think yeah. about mm-hmm. what's happened with the development of a vaccine. I mean, we right. have how many different effective vaccines now for this coronavirus that emerged a year ago. And before yeah. the fastest that a vaccine was able to be developed was like what four years or something. Like, I mean, it's, so it's incredible the time that yeah. we live in.
0: I, I, yeah, I think I think uh, it's not anything you said, Emily. I just wanted to make sure. I, I think in our culture, and this is now getting way off the topic, so I'm going to make this quick. <laughs> I just think in our culture, we have this very pessimistic view of the world and cynicism mm-hmm. sells on social media in particular. Oh, yeah. and, and for me, I push back against that because that encourages a disengagement, a feeling of futility. And I like to push back on that a little bit to say like, it's it's not futile we are making changes we're improving things and the hard work Mm. of making improvements shouldn't make you feel like there's been no improvement up to this point and and one of the things is if you're Mm. not if you're seeing a futility in your lifetime and in your just just think about this maybe your community's circumstances might have not changed but are you looking at that from the standpoint of people from other countries other racial groups religious groups there might be others that have not changed, but there are certainly many of them uh, who have seen a dramatic improvement in their life over the last 100 years. I'm not saying like the last four years or the five years or even 10 years. Mm. So it's just remember that that trend that we're on and that we can hit back on it. And um, it's really, I think it's that cynicism that I I have found to be a little stifling, especially being uh, someone who's on social media a lot because I work <laughs> on it. Uh, it's It can sometimes... It can drag you down, and that's no good. Oh, um, for well, sure. wh- why don't we talk very briefly about <laughs> Cisco's decision to become Gabriel Bell? Because um, poor Gabriel Bell died of a knife attack <laughs> <laughs> in the street. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be great. He's going to be awesome. Oh, he's dead. Okay. Oh. Yeah, and and that came from Cisco's initial desire not to be involved at all. Uh, we've addressed this previous in in a couple of our previous moral dilemmas. This desire not to be involved is there anything new that we need to tread on with this episode uh, or things well, that y'all thought of?
1: Cisco, we're really really lucky, um, or the Star Trek future is really lucky that Cisco was such an expert in 21st century history right. and that he knew all of this. You know, it, I was just thinking oh, it yeah, was. <laughs> It's really one of the things I was noticing about uh, Avery Brooks' performance. Um, I was really appreciating when he's sitting in the lobby of that processing area. This would be in the first episode. So it's Gabriel Bell is alive still. Um, Mm -hmm. And he's sitting there and he's looking at the clock. And you can just see the wheels spinning, you know, as he's trying to figure out exactly you know am I about to see this go down? like yeah. <laughs> like yeah. like how 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 close am I to this? you know and and then obviously he ends up being a whole lot closer um than than we think. But I also was thinking, you know, obviously Cisco, uh, well, he wouldn't have been a captain at this point. I guess he would have been a commander. but Cisco, as a leader, was primed to be able to step into that role of Gabriel Bell. Yeah. you know and to to have the he had the the demeanor that was necessary to take charge um to recognize you know, that some difficult decisions needed to be made, but that, you know, sometimes when you're burning stuff down, you don't need to really burn it all down. Right. You can mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. have, you know, let's let's burn some stuff down, but we could do it without people dying. Right. So let's let's figure out a way to do it. You know, anyway. So I just. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, I, I, I thought that was actually an, it was an interesting because um, I, I feel like in the United States, we have a we have a tendency to sort of like look for the. Uh, so, like, we are very picky and choosy about like who we get to have as like our top civil rights leaders or whatever. So we're like, okay, uh, this one was a little bit too violent, but uh, MLK, like he he's like the one that we want to talk about all the time. I I appreciated how, um,
1: and then we want to go and s- s- whitewash him, no pun intended. So you know, yeah, let's but, have but, but a
2: like, like conversation uh, about the, what the, they've
1: the, even done with MLK, right?
2: Oh, for sure. But the, but the thing that that's interesting is I or that I appreciated about this is that we we sort of portrayed cisco uh going into this and like it, he's not going into it in sort of this pacifist uh 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 guys of things like he's carrying mm-hmm. a gun he's being violent with people he like he is he's sort of taking action like making sure that we do keep people we're threatening people when we need to like it, it's it's interesting because we're sort of like we're mixing violence but uh it's it's still um recognizing like the the importance of the work that they're doing and it, it's it, it's it felt like a much more nuanced take than i i don't like i if we had i don't know i i'm just i i'm kind of surprised that 90s trek even sort of went went that far and had mm-hmm. uh like one of the pivotal moments of, of american history be a guy with a gigantic gun beating people up in order to make sure that they uh like protect hostages or, or whatnot like that, that's it's such an interesting um, way to
1: to so look at at a
2: at a yeah at a new hero um, than we than we've typically done and I I I, I appreciated that uh, aspect yeah.
0: of it. I, I think we're all in agreement that what happened was the right thing and that's a score. Bashir <laughs> did the right thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have strong reservations about where the and Kalmini should have taken those flowers and shown themselves transporting out. Know, in the sixties. That was a major violation yeah. of the moral dilemmas. They
1: were just lucky that those two yeah. were high. Jeez!
0: Next episode, <laughs> yeah. all about just that decision, okay? I oh, know. Well, why don't we take a break over here? We'll come back, discuss more about the the, the way this episode, or this couple of episodes were created, the story writing characters, and yeah. much, much more. Trapped in Earth's past. I thought we were on the same side here. Think again. Cisco's mission is to save the future.
1: You don't know
2: what any of this is about, do you?
0: But in order to keep history from being altered... Those hostages aren't going anywhere until we get what we want.
2: We move in at 0500.
0: Will he be forced to sacrifice himself? On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Welcome back to Strange New Takes. We're talking about past tense, except we're using the present tense mostly. Where we should be using the future tense, because this episode does occur in the future. So really this episode very poorly named Our Stephen Bear how dare you um but uh, let's get to talking speaking of to story and writing uh just a couple of little tidbits that I, some breadcrumbs that I will throw to the ducks that are my co-hosts which is the uh the conception of this episode is obviously around social issues but it was specifically inspired by the New York 1971 riot in New York's Attica prison another thing that was done especially in part 2 was the the Guy B.C., the, the dude with the hat who was making awkward, creepy references to all the women, by the way, that was very lame and scary, uh, was, was specifically not shown to be a completely irredeemable, irredeemable person because the Irish Stephen Bear wanted him, wanted folks to understand that this was a person who was there because of their circumstances mm-hmm. and not because mm. they were inherently a bad person, so... Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and that was something that I, I thought they did a pretty good job of, you know, even though they, uh, when they first talk about ghosts in the sanctuary city, you're thinking, oh, those are just people that are just going to cause problems and are only in it for themselves. Well, but I thought they did a good job. They made it more nuanced. Um, yeah. uh, so I I appreciated that because the people who become ghosts in a place like a sanctuary district, um, it's survival. Like it's, it's not because they're a... Yeah. They're inherently an evil person. It's because their circumstances have have led them to this place that you know they're doing what they need to do to survive. And people handle that in different ways.
0: Uh, there's yeah, I Sorry, Adam. I'm just gonna throw connected. something in.
2: <laughs>
0: okay, I, I'm gonna go. Okay, You shut up, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: just kidding, buddy. Just kidding.
0: Uh, I am I am wearing my U Chicago sweatshirt from the University of Chicago, which made, reminded me about something. Um there was there's a gang research unit at the University of Chicago because University of Chicago is on uh, the south side of Chicago. It I should say at this point, its history with the South Side and its relationships to the community have been historically very poor and exploitative. That has changed over the last 20 years. Uh, the university is now doing much more in community relations, however, that being said, anyway, they have this gang research unit and they have this really famous professor, Had, who did a lot of research into the gangs. And one of the things that they found out was essentially the gangs in on the south side of Chicago would operate as social service organizations. Essentially, they were the government of the south side because there wasn't yeah. any other entity providing basic services or support or whatever. The gang developed that kind of attitude and and that presence uh, there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more reading and writing that you can do. That's not necessarily how the ghosts are portrayed in this particular episode, Um, but you can see that they are... They... You know, BC isn't, like, out there just to rob everybody. He wants to make a statement when he takes takes over this processing center. Um, And... He, the, it, it, one of the things that I read in this trivia note was that they also did, were trying to be careful not to make it like a BC, like the crazed BC versus Cisco. Like that wasn't the ad, the the message, or the theme of the the like second episode that they wanted. And I didn't get that sense watching it. It was it wasn't like I had to like watch for what BC is doing every second, mm-hmm. you know, uh, either. So they succeeded.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Uh, that's interesting hearing, hearing theirs perspective. Cause I actually, I was kind of feeling like they did kind of put it, put him into that uh, position. Cause it, for, for me, it, it felt um, a bit strange. To, so we had like that moment of uh, humanizing him at the end where he like passes the hat off to the kid, mm-hmm. uh, which I guess that specifically was to tr- try to complicate him a little bit. Um, but th- there were lots of, uh, moments where i i wasn't sure if he he existed only to be like the antagonist or whatnot um so i i I I don't know if i 100 uh see where where they where they're coming from with it but I, i i do appreciate that that's like a purposeful thing that they were trying to do
1: Something that was interesting about BC, I felt so when you're first introduced to him. I mean, he's just bad, right? You know, yeah, you just yeah. know he's he's no good, and and he's there to take advantage, and um, he's very racist. Uh, he calls mm. Cisco boy a couple of different times, um, which I, that's something that's uh, well, we'll address that in a second. But um, but then when he when Cisco takes on the um, the role of Gabriel Bell. The way BC interacted with him was much different after that mm-hmm. um, and I don't know so he for whatever reason, I don't know if it was because now he had a name, and since he knew he had a name, he had to give him the dignity of being a fellow human being and couldn't mm-hmm. just otherize him in the way he had before um, or if it's just I mean obviously Cisco's going to have inherent leadership qualities just by virtue of the position that he holds in Starfleet, yeah. right mm-hmm. so um, and so he just commands respect. Uh, well, and, and so I, I think, and BC gave it to him.
2: <clears throat> I, I think some of that also connects to, uh, so Cisco in the beginning was trying to be like kind of avoidant of all people. So like mm-hmm. sort of a, like, oh, we have no problem. Like we're just trying to do our own thing. Like don't bother us. Uh, but switched over to like, I'm in charge and mm-hmm. you need to listen to me. So like, I, I, I think at the very least he was responding to those sort of
0: like leadership qualities. Right. The other little uh thing that I read in the trivia that's interesting is one of they they separated uh Cisco and Bashir and who went to the sanctuary cities and uh Terry Farrell, uh Jadzia, who went to the rich people place as kind of a subtle very subtle, subtle, subtle. I feel like this is the most played-out word in like TV discussions. It is subtle yeah. nod. Anyway it it was it was a subtle reference to racism and how basically the brown and black person gets treated differently than the attractive white lady mm. um and and so that was that was a story element um and that was included uh because of that
1: and i would argue that that element would have been more subtle in the 90s than it, it than that decision had they made that today would have been it would have been a more obvious choice to do today Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. people are being ve- they're not trying to be subtle so much about <laughs> like pointing out some of these things. But the other thing I found interesting was you can definitely see how this was written pre 9-11 because the blatant racism in the episode is directed towards Cisco and not towards Bashir. Mm-hmm. And prior to 9-11, uh, people of Arab descent in the United States were seen as white um and and that changed after 911 um and so the uh, i don't think that Bashir would have been i'm going to use this word loosely ignored in the same way or his race would have been ignored it had it been post 911 than it was cuz it just i just found yeah. it interesting that like they clearly had Cisco and Bashir be the two that ended up in the in the sanctuary district for that subtle, you know, there's that subtle racism that's at play, right. You know, and the, mm-hmm. the beautiful white woman ends up with the rich people. Um, but there still was a difference in how uh, they had people interact with Cisco versus Bashir. And I, I just found that interesting.
2: Yeah. that, that That's an interesting point. And I, it, I, I thought it was also interesting because they, so like they, I guess the, maybe the, the nod to that subtlety is like, I, I don't recall them ever mentioning uh, anyone like being any particular race, but the, the Cisco, the closest Cisco comes to it is he says something like, they're not going to take me or you as seriously as this guy. Uh, Mm -hmm. and, and and that was definitely, uh, because of the, uh, the, uh, uh, BC being, being a ghost and Cisco being black. But I I think that that was the only like specific, reference that I that I caught. All right, that's a cl- as close as they got to like him explaining like, you know, because I'm a black guy and this is the 21st century.
1: And this is jumping a little bit, but um Cisco of all the characters in Star Trek, I feel that Cisco is the most aware of racial dynamics as they have played out over yeah. history, and I think yes. that's totally Avery Brooks. Like yeah. I think Avery Brooks insisted on that happening. Um, Because there are several times throughout Deep Space Nine where uh, Cisco protests about, you know, like he doesn't want to participate Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the holodeck. Um, Las Vegas, you know, in this it was at Las Vegas in the in the forties or the sixties or whenever it was, you know, because he's like I wouldn't have been allowed there, so I don't. Why would I want to spend time, you know, like yeah, and so yeah. he's a, he's more aware of that than any other character we have in all of Star Trek canon, it seems to me.
0: Well, and this is, I mean, this is something that's documented in uh, if you read about Far Beyond the Stars, for example, mm-hmm. the an yes. episode that deals with racism explicitly, very much influenced by Avery Brooks' own mm-hmm. uh, feelings on the topic. Uh, if you read about about how that episode came together and its its direction which was by brooks mm-hmm. um and this is also i think uh an important time to say this is what happens when you take somebody with a particular identity and you put them in a leadership role where they can speak their minds like you can't ignore call sheet number one saying something right like you got right. you, you can't yeah, be yeah. like oh that's okay buddy like i don't know whether garrett uh harry kim is korean or chinese they're all the same literally something that that I mean, oh, yeah. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, oh, but what for... Brandon no, has that, said to Garrett Wang from... is is yeah. is that no. he said like we don't know what Kim is because he's just you know he's one of those uh, you know whatever and it's it's so gross it's so gross and Garrett Wang being a young actor you know call sheet number whatever, i, I he he didn't get his point across and and that was not resolved yeah. properly whereas here, Avery Brooks being in a position of power where they couldn't ignore him, mm-hmm. um you can see that reflected and this is why in your life you should ask are you listening to people and putting them in places of leadership where they can speak to you in those ways or are you putting them in a a place of weakness where they cannot speak to to your power so (laughs) we we, we stumbled onto this but i just wanted to make that point real quick
1: um
0: another another piece of this episode that i thought was kind of interesting is the role played by uh chris chris uh, I can't believe it. He's so famous. How did I forget his name? Chris uh Brenner? Chris Brenner, yeah. Yeah, of course. Channel lines oh, Chris oh, oh. Brenner.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That's uh, you were just like Jedzia. You just needed some more prompting. Yeah. Right, yeah, that. exactly. Chris <laughs> Brenner, of Chris course.
0: Brinner. Right, right. That Chris <laughs> Brenner. Um and his role, I mean, he explicitly is like, oh, I get to help a damsel in distress. <laughs> how lucky for me. And and It's interesting, because he didn't fall neatly into a stereotype, necessarily, but there were still some elements of his, like, kind of being sort of deluded. I appreciated that he didn't have the full, like, I should help from the bottom of my heart. But at the end, he was like, ah, ratings, you know, (laughs) as he taps (laughs) his finger (laughs) together (laughs) Um, and does it for the ratings. And I thought that was a more realistic portrayal of, like, how sometimes (laughs) you got to hit people where they are to get what you want. Um, And, uh, yeah, anyway. It was what did y'all think about that whole relationship between him and Jetzia in this episode?
2: I I thought she I, handled it re- really well cuz it it was uh she seemed I I mean after the initial um sort of like wait, where the hell am I? What's going on? uh and she also probably doesn't have the historical context that uh that Cisco has, but um just because she's not human. But the uh, I, I think she ended up working pretty well with him to sort of like do sort of like subtle manipulations, uh, when, when she could and to take advantage of the situation while also trying to like encourage him to do good things. Uh, and, um, yeah. So I, I just, I felt that she, uh, she worked pretty, worked pretty well on that with having very little information, uh, going in.
1: When I thought they, one of the things they did with his character was, um, they, I think they did a good job of p- portraying someone who's not nefarious. Like, he wasn't like, mm. oh, because he's this rich dude, he's obviously evil, and because yeah. he has resources, he just wants to exploit people. That's not how they played him. Mm-hmm. They they did play him as clueless, though. Like, like yeah. just completely unaware of the realities of people who might end up in the sanctuary districts. And even things like... Um, you know, I I like when they had the the party where Jedzia was interacting with a number of different people who would have been in the similar social mm-hmm. strata. Um, when they were talking about how um, like they don't even think about the fact that they should look in the sanctuary cities for her friends. They just said, "Oh well, yeah. no one showed up," and the trauma wards are in the hospitals. But it never once crossed their mind that someone who was friends with Jedzia would ever yeah. look like someone who should end up in a sanctuary city, at least initially they bring that up yeah. later where they say, Oh, good thing you weren't found without an ID card. You would have been, you know, yeah. put in a sanctuary city. So I thought that was an interesting thing. And then, um, uh, but yeah, it, it was more just, they were just kind of obtuse, you know? Yeah. Um, Oh, like, like there was a time where, you know, uh, the guy says, Chris Brenner says, um, your friends are fine. That That's the whole point of the sanctuary, you know? And she's like, yeah. you know, because they, they, they have food, they have a place to stay. And, you know, you just have that moment where Jadzia Je- 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 is like, if um, if it's so safe, why is there a wall around it? Like if there's, mm-hmm. you know, like it just those little tiny things where he just takes things for granted and doesn't question very deeply. Um, but she just kind of can poke little holes in that. And, and yeah, I mean, it's not that he has this huge transformation and his heart is changed, but those little pricks are enough to get him to maybe see things a little differently
0: yeah and uh i'll also just point to like we didn't need an extended scene in the party where jadzia has a huff and like explains the situation and which is i think this episode did better than the Mm -hmm. just say no to drugs episodes where there's so much (laughs) preaching that um -hmm. I i think it's it's tone and attitude were were they they trusted the viewers to come along with them on the ride which i mm-hmm. which i liked yeah uh mm-hmm. and they and they poked only where it was necessary like that last minute where cisco's like and i i don't know why, why were things this way i don't know i don't know and he looks to look the camera like it's like yeah uh yeah, yeah. it was you know that it was very explicit there was
1: it was there was i've just remembered one other thing i wanted to lift up uh, uh, pertaining to chris um You know, when she when uh, this is when Jadzia is trying to convince him to to let them use the network to be able to share their stories. Um, You know, he says they're acting like criminals. They've taken hostages. And Jadzia's response is, don't you want to know why they're doing it? Don't you think the public deserves to know? Um, And it's just that that moment of you can't just don't just put criminality on a person like like there's more to that person's story than just them breaking a law. Or, yeah. or acting like a criminal in this and you know there mm-hmm. there is something deeper that's happening and so that's what we need to we need to push through that into something else
0: let's uh while we're where we're discussing briefly the the different actors or different side characters let's give it some shout outs jim metzler played chris burner that chris burner um, and he's been in a bunch of things. I'm not actually, I'm, I'm just not going to read out all the different things that these actors mm-hmm. have been in because they've been in a bunch of stuff. Dick Miller played Vin, he died on 30th January 2019 at the ripe old age of 90. He's also been in The Big Goodbye and The Next Generation. I thought his portrayal of Vin was uh maybe worth some discussion in a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al Rodrigo played Bernardo Calvera, the other guard. He also played the Captain Durango in the Lower Decks episode, uh, Moist Vessel, re- recently. He's the Tellurite <laughs> captain of the uh, USS Illinois, if you remember that. Tina Lefford played the the clerk person at the at the programming... Was uh, pro- it the programming facility? What was Processing. it called? Processing. Processing. I knew it was a PRO word. Processing <laughs> facility. Played the na- name of the character was Lee. Bill Smitrovich played Michael Webb, who when his son showed up, I was like, yeah, Webb's going to die. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. OK. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hello, junior. How's your mother doing? I was like, OK, that's the line that goes into the guy who's on the last day on the force. Like, I'm almost, you know, to retirement. Like, he's, gonna, you know, he's wearing a red shirt, like one last away mission captain for old time's sake. He's going to die. Uh, but, his
1: son knew he was going to die too though.
0: Right, exactly. Uh You know,
1: I mean like they and they played that pretty anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh Frank Military uh played BC. That's that's his real name, Frank Military. <laughs> um interesting interesting name there. And finally Clint Howard uh, noted yeah. character, actor, who's the brother of actor and director Ron Howard, played Grady. Uh, who Clint uh, Howard has also played Balok in the original series. He's played yeah. the Ferengi Mook in acquisition he was a creepy orion uh, in yeah. discoveries will you take my hand was uh, he in the, yeah. Cor- was it the corbinite
1: maneuver that he's in in uh original series
0: correct yeah he's a yeah, little okay. baby yeah.
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah was addicted <laughs> so to <funny>. juice um <laughs> yep <laughs> um and let's let's start with this why was grady in part two like why was he there like what what was the point of like the dude who like thinks he can become invisible like i didn't understand maybe y'all can help
1: I wondered if he had seen them uh, somehow had seen someone beam in or something. Right. Like, you know, but they didn't show that. It was like, yeah. you know, in the uh, in sitting uh, on the Edge of Forever, you know, when they saw, you know, one of them did see someone kind of appear anyway. But
0: he was his know. son. <laughs> the guy who, who got vaporized himself. Grady right, exactly. was his <laughs> <laughs>
1: Exactly.
0: Um, so so that was Grady. And I yeah, other than comic relief, I didn't uh I, I guess, okay, there is one thing perhaps, which is that it pulls Jadzia into the processing facility and then back out. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of a more of a line of why that character's motivations go that way. Um the the well, other I, thing I re- think it I feel like it, it's it's also so like Part of their they're trying
2: to have this careful portrayal of like all the different people that end up in the sanctuary city, or it's not sanctuary cities, that's what we have. Uh the sanctuary districts. Uh but uh, trying to so like they, they show that that he he's definitely has some sort of uh mental difficulties that that he's dealing with, uh, but he they they don't show him as just like dangerous or anything like that like right. he seems like he's honestly like a nice guy and it like he he, he took her com badge but it's not a um there's not a a, a feeling of like oh malicious. we need to lock him up or whatever yeah like so I, I i feel like that was part of the attempt to like have a more um because you've of, only like, heard that dims
1: Because he would, I think, well, he would have fallen into the the dims category, right? And you've only heard dims. I even, I feel like that's a bad word saying it. I'm only saying it because I said it in Star Trek. But um, they have, they only talk about dims. Like, oh, a dim got in a fight with a a security guard and now there's this big Mm -hmm. riot breaking out. Whereas this was the moment where they actually have a person with a face and a personality and interactions. Yeah, yeah. You know, so...
0: Uh I, I also neglected to mention somebody important. Uh, Preston, played by Deborah Van Valkenburg. So the the detective who's the negotiator.
2: Oh
0: um, nice. but uh let's talk about Vin briefly, because I, I You know, with BC's portrayal, you had this kind of ending element of him giving the hat. Vin had a more explicit redemption arc. And maybe this Mm -hmm. is also the moment to talk about how they killed off everybody at the end. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. pew, 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 everyone's dead. And which um, was kind of stark. I don't think it was, there was not not a beat to kind of reflect on that for a moment in kind of this, Mm -hmm. you know, very serious way that I think... Like the implication of that is really dark, and we don't truly deal with the fact that like BC Web, all the other ghosts, and perhaps the like gimmies who had shown up with Web are all dead.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I it seems to me the way I read the scene was that is what ultimately pushed Vin towards some sort of transformation. Was yeah. y'all just came in here indiscriminately shooting, and you didn't pay any attention to anything? And that was the moment when he was like, "Okay, I may need to reevaluate this system that I'm participating in."
2: Yeah, right. Yeah, he yeah. He, he definitely felt like sort of the um, they were trying to have like the I don't know like stereotypical cop mindset guy of like mm-hmm. that he's uh, he had like just saying that he doesn't have any sympathy for the people that he's uh sort of like policing around or or whatnot. But I I. I I thought it was interesting for the message of the show where we, we have these people who like, like, I think he ends up probably being, or the implication is kind of that he's one of the more pivotal people that we needed to convince uh, with, with the bell riots of uh, that there was something wrong and that, that we needed to do something. And it, because the, the, the thing is like, it's maybe it's easy to uh, like in our own society, like, we we have lots of people that are trying to like outwoke each other and to try to be mm. like the most progressive person in the room and then like argue with with each other about like just how progressive we should be. Like the, the often the the thing that needs to happen is uh, sort of the uh, breaking out of your bubble and, and figuring out how to talk to people that absolutely do not agree with you. And so like Vin, Vin took the place of that character who just like, he was not interested in giving any of these people the time of day and uh like we even had sort of the jokey way that he said like uh fill out these forms and if you have any questions you're going to talk to these people and like it, you can get uh your answers from this place uh now sh- sit down shut up and don't talk to me uh mm-hmm. like uh and i and i uh I, I just i appreciated how they they included him but then sort of let him sort of slowly come along uh to the premise of the show
1: well, something else that was interesting about his character. So they also showed fairly early. On, so you get the idea. He's the gruff, you know, mm-hmm. security guard kind of character right? yeah. or the police officer kind of mm-hmm. character. And um, but he has that moment where he tells um, the guy he's working with, you know, why don't you go on home to your family? You know, like I can handle this, you know, because because it's, yeah, it's, yeah. the guy says earlier, like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be mad at me again. I'm going to like you know. And he's like, why don't you go ahead? So they, they have that moment of like, well, clearly he can see that someone else has a different situation than him and so has compassion, like, hey, go home. Yeah, he's, um, he's not just a has,
2: dick the whole time. Yeah. Right, right.
1: And then you have the moment where they're sitting inside the processing center on the floor once the, when they're hostages. And he's like, you know, uh, the guy's looking at his uh family and he's like, oh, show it to him. Because like, he, re- he recognizes the importance of humanizing the guards to the mm-hmm. people who are holding hostages and then that that kind of gets flipped and all of a sudden he's able to humanize the people who are holding him hostage um in a way that he hadn't been able to so
0: yeah it's um i think i think it was again one of those elements that took this from kind of a very straight line portrayal of morality play to like a sophisticated uh Mm -hmm. tv episode of star trek um i also want to want to Give a quick shout out to the way that the um that Bernardo was played too. It wasn't kind of one of those like whiny uber sympathetic like i always want to go characters like there was complexity mm-hmm. to every mm-hmm. single car- side character lee had that too in her mm-hmm. you know for a second there i was like are they just gonna make her the person who's scared and like shrieking the whole time through this whole you know a- oh, yeah. uh, uhura in uh the mm-hmm. episode we watched and that wasn't the case They 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 made her freak out because she was having Health issues, yes,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. She's hy- hypoglycemic. N- nice right. shout out to hypoglycemia. So,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, Do you feel yeah. seen? Uh,
2: yeah, I they... I had some <laughs> some issues with that when I was a kid. So, a chocolate bar that <laughs> could have helped in that situation. Oh,
0: yeah, there you go. Uh, they should have had you in our brochure. Uh, but um, <laughs> it's, well, the it's... thing
1: that was nice about Lee's presence was she had she was someone who was still who was part of the system but mm-hmm. had compassion for the people that she was working with, you know, and she didn't just paint them all with the same brush necessarily you know anyway
0: yeah so yeah anyway uh we had um so so this was i think a a solid episode for both the main characters and the side characters just a little bit uh we also had several um moments with kira and and uh o'brien which i thought were a little bit like I, I thought that was maybe the weakest part of this episode, like how they show for up in sure, their thirties sure. and there's a flapper and then they show up in the sixties and flower power man. Uh, <laughs> you know, the Scooby-Doo That was like their attempt there.
1: at that was like their attempt at humor because this was not a humorous episode. Right, yeah, that, like, that was that, that was the part
2: that was written by the um the writer who wrote uh all the funny parts of um <laughs> City on the Edge of Forever. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you know, it's funny because so when Star Trek goes into the other episodes, episodes or movies where they come into our time or the near future, they are those are have been able to be played for laughs a little more. Even, you know, think about Star Trek Four, you know, with mm-hmm. the whales. They're yeah. able to do lots of funny little things with that. Or when Voyager comes to the 90s, you know, they mm-hmm. it's kind of funny. This this isn't funny. Like, it's yeah. just not. <laughs> so they they were trying to be funny with o'brien and kira and you
2: know. yeah it was <laughs> kira yeah. definitely
1: is not a character to be doing your humor with
2: anyway. no no that that <laughs> they should
0: have seen the problem with that from the beginning yeah, <laughs> yeah. um also it was like we have three cr- enough chroniton particles for just one more jump i wonder which one he's gonna pick <laughs> and also (laughs) yeah right it's like oh shit we showed up in the 80s crap guess we gotta invest in Wall Street now and make a bunch of money with Reagan (laughs) in office you know (laughs) anyway uh, but the other thing that I think was another not necessarily weak part but it was kind of like inconsistency in this episode was that the defiance still exists after Gabriel Bell is like I mean technically Avery Brooks and Bashir should also disappear but let's not go into temporal loop stuff that deep. But Defiant shouldn't have been around. If the Romulans are Alpha Centauri, there's no Starfleet, Nothing. how do you, How are you still here? But there's protected like a chronotone bubble. Like,
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, what are you <laughs>
0: much? The, okay. Don't think there's, about it too hard, notch. <laughs> yeah, I got the bill directive. <laughs> got the bill directive in full effect right there. Um, okay. Also... Uh, finally, one last little, little fun time thing is the, the flip phone being used in 2024. Like, and you know, I mean, they did just come out of the new Motorola Razr. So maybe, you know, this is just Star Trek being like all these trends that they say are, are going away. They're coming back, baby. Sony Walkmans and tapes. 2025. That's when they make their comeback. Yeah. Um, well, like, it's, like the it's computer that Zia has to work on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs>
1: it's so bad. It looks like it's from the '70s. Like <laughs> they, they like found an old computer and put
0: it. On Chris Bunner's like, we have this amazing tech. You know, in 2024, unlike you schlubs from 1995, we have mainframes, <laughs> punch cards. <laughs> but anyway, it's uh, oh yeah, gosh. it's the net. And also, like, while we're on this topic. I mean, the whole... It, this was like the slang thing was kind of from the 90s, right? Where they are like, ooh, there are other cultures with their own words. Ooh, English can appropriate those words as slang. Let's let's gimme's and dims and this and that. And it was, I feel like that was just a reflection of the fact that, like, uh, you know, mainstream culture was starting to realize, oh, yeah, minorities exist and they have their own, like, language that they use uh, mm-hmm. for things. So, anyway, anyway. Uh, other other quick points before we, we end this episode, y'all?
1: I loved when uh, Bashir says, 21st century history is not one of my strong points. Too depressing. And I was like, yeah, preach. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: <You're right. laughs> but- it, it, there was also a moment where... I- uh, they go to they go to twenty forty eight and they're like and it was, it was bad, but I don't remember it being that bad. I'm like, oh, they have not written uh first contact yet, where I think most major cities have been destroyed by twenty sixty three. Yeah. Like <laughs> it got pretty bad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yep. They they specifically uh mentioned that on memory alpha. It's like it came out a year and a half later and that was one of the continuity uh <laughs> bubbles. But maybe Riker was yeah. wrong, all right. Like, you know, he might have misremembered. Yeah breakfast is just talking
2: out of his ass heat it's it's just that they're going to montana like yeah there's not a whole lot of things going on in that place
0: (laughs) and and you mentioned this earlier uh emily which is it's it's damn convenient that like one of the people who was stranded is like an expert on the timeline it's like when tom paris is around he's like oh yeah i had a truck and like cigarettes (laughs) and like you know uh yeah Yeah. i i know what bubble gum is because i use it every day like (laughs) uh anyway anyway um, so yeah, so so that that's always fun. Very typical Star Trek stuff, just like the mm-hmm. transporter accident that gets mm-hmm. us into this business. But uh, okay, I'll ask one more time: any final remarks on this episode before we move on? All right. Well, let's stick our necks out and give this episode a rating. Who wants to go first?
1: I'll go first because it's my episode.
0: Oh, one qu- real, real quick point. <sighs> Sorry to try to interrupt you. I really apologize. Do we want to rate these separately or uh as one episode?
1: Uh, uh as one. I think I'll I, like, well, I'm, once. I think this I see this as one episode. This okay. one yeah. feels more like this one, I don't know what it is. I always just I think it's because it's a mid season two parter. It doesn't yeah. have that same feeling as like the ones that, that happens at the end of an of a season and then the second parts at the beginning. I don't know. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: I'm giving this a 5 out of 5. I just I mean, this episode does not ever get old. And every time I watch it, I know that there's a hurdle for some people with with uh science fiction, but every time I watch this episode, like I was just thinking I want Sp- I want Springfield City Council to watch this episode um i just feel like there's something that it can teach us and something that um it can perhaps open our eyes to and maybe just shine a light on um i it's one of those episodes that i think it should be required watching for a whole lot of different things so uh
2: so for for mine i i think I, so i i'm i'm mostly there with you i think i'm going to knock it down to I'm having difficulties in deciding the exact actual number, but I, I think, I, I think I'll say nine. So for a nine out of 10. So for me, I think it suffers a bit from maybe being too long. Like, I wonder if this should have been a single episode mm. because we, we have some of the, like, well, I don't know. We have an extra 15 minutes. Uh, Kira and uh O'Brien don't know where they're going. So like, there there's like some weird, there's some like odd pacing issues for me in the, in the show, but like, just the the feeling of watching this episode and like being like it's 2021 this doesn't feel that preposterous for for saying something in 2024 maybe we have the dates like slightly wrong but i i could see some of these things happening and it's uh the like notch had said the that we're able to get preachy without like it just bang, banging us over the head and like it, fe- it feels appropriate levels of preachy and mm-hmm. um and I, I just think that that's incredible to be able to pull that off in an episode of Star mm-hmm.
0: Trek. Yeah, um, I, you know, I'm just gonna get over myself and just give this a ten because I was I was <laughs> debating a whole bunch, but I think I think you're right, Emily, and you're <laughs> wrong, Adam. You shut <laughs> up again, like before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna- we had
1: to have the conflict somewhere you know <laughs> yeah there we go
0: right right this there's is like the conflict the West Wing like difference this is the West Wing after Aaron Sorkin leaves and the executive producers realize now we can have all the characters fight each other let's have this happen in our podcast okay. that pet peeve that is one of my worst like the thing I hate the most about the West Wing is that the, when uh, the, the Aaron Sorkin left he was very adamant that like the cast the main characters are family they don't fight like our family doesn't fight. They have disagreements and, and conflicts, little conflicts, but they always are tight. And then after he left, the executive producers and the writers were like, we're free. Have everyone fight everybody. And it's and it just sucks because it's more realistic. But that wasn't the point of the West right. Wing, y'all. It was to- <laughs> anyway. OK, that annoyed me. Also, I read about an opinion Piece yesterday, I was googling like the West Wing, like redo show on, on stage. We were joking about how we should do that with Star Trek, but anyway, yes, <laughs> we, I saw that. And some idiot in the Washington Post was like, Last thing the world needs right now is more West Wing. Shut up, and that is
1: not true. Keep shutting up,
0: <laughs> don't ever write anything ever again. You are That's useless, right. whoever you are, man or person or whatever. Okay, like I, I don't <laughs> want to hear from you uh, ever again. Okay, all right, now that I've had my say. Thank you Emily. Thank you Adam for being here today. Do very much thank appreciate that. As always. Uh, thank you Rudy Bill Dinah, and Max, uh, wherever you all are, I hope you're having a great time at the moment. Uh, we hope to see you soon. Thank you, listener, for sticking with us. Of course, uh, we we appreciate you being around, listening to us, following us, talking to us on social media. Thank you, Jishnu Guha, who recorded our theme music. He's got a podcast named Geek Fruit. If you want to listen to that, and then uh, I want to say a special thanks to the police officer who was standing next to uh, the inspector while she was taking the call from the governor, and because uh, because she was all like, "Governor, blah 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 blah," okay, sorry, and having a one sided phone conversation because the governor. Hint doesn't exist uh, So she's just talking And this dude Obviously not a part of the guild Because he has no lines He just stands there Looks at her Nods and then walks away And without that We couldn't have We would That person being there We would have been like This police officer's a loose cannon She's just doing Whatever she wants She and the governor Are in on it But this other guy Reluctantly nodding We know she's being genuine About her reluctance To send in the SWAT team So special thanks to you <laughs> Police inspector guy Alright everybody We'll see you next week Goodbye Bye. Bye.